Hi. Hi. Welcome back. <laughs> we have Stephanie Wilsey here for our first episode of season two, Key Workers of Hide or Practice. Very exciting. Very exciting. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. So we wanted to shift the focus from season one to season two. So season one was about the perspective of the people who are working in the industry. So they're curators, they're dealers, they're artists. We got peer-to-peer crits. And then season two, I was really interested in this idea of the key workers, the unsung heroes, the ones that like really support the system but they're never talked about because they're never the front facing like, here I am, look at me, I'm so magical, I'm a unicorn, except you are magical and you are a unicorn. And so I was talking to Alexis about this and she's like, oh my God, I know all these people. And I'm like, yes, like we should have like the framers and the insurance people and like the transporters and the designers because like they literally support the system, but they are never given the credit. Like, well, maybe like, behind closed doors, but I think it's really important for people to know that like these people exist and like we can't exist in this industry without you guys. Exactly. Cause I think that that's the, just also, it's just like, it's when I got out of school and I started looking for art jobs, like all I knew what to be was an auction house or a gallery or a museum. That was it. Like, I didn't even know. And I'll get into how I met Stephanie soon. Like I, I didn't even know the possibilities of like where my career have gone until I was confronted with these like amazing new options. And I think that, that we do like everyone kind of at a service. And like, this is even now, like I've been doing this for 15 years and I still meet people who are doing things that I didn't even know existed. And I've still been presented with opportunities that I didn't know were real. And I, you know, when people ask me what I want my career to be, I say, I don't even dream anymore because what I wanted to do at 25 and what I'm doing at 37 is like so wildly different. And what I'm doing now is so much better <laughs> than what I thought was available to me. Not that that wouldn't have been cool. And I'm sure I would have been very happy at like an auction house, but like, I feel, I, I love so much what I do. But for instance, when I, I was talking to Stephanie about asking her to be on this, like I didn't know that being a studio manager of an artist's studio was an option until someone was like, Doug Aiken's looking for a studio manager and we think he might be a good fit. Um, And that short story long is how I met (laughs) Stephanie because she came in and we hired her to be our architect and designer. So I worked with her for a few years at Doug's studio and Stephanie, now I will let you talk about yourself. (laughs) Well, it's uh, wow. Um, It's so exciting (laughs) to talk to you guys. Um, I've been, I've been listening to you guys, uh, discuss the art world and it has been really fun to hear your, um, kind of insider perspective on things. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting. There is this, there, the art world obviously is a massive industry. And I think that the way that we think of it, we think of it as this very kind of, um, you think of the cult of personality and the way that an artist, the identity of the artist is just this black hole that like kind of, you know, 
sucks every all of the energy into itself and and propagates that energy outwards and you know you think of the artist as kind of conceiving of and producing all of these things um you know both you know conceptually and physically completely in a vacuum that it's just you know and you know obviously they 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 are the source of that information and the source of that creativity but in order to make that happen and to make that real there is this absolute army of people behind them producing things and um and it is it's uh i think it's really incredible and i, I know coming out of school like i did the same thing i was like well i've studied you went art. To school for art right i did yeah i went to um undergrad many many years ago uh i went to school for um art for sculpture and uh you know like interactive media and um, multimedia works and stuff like that. And um, I was very interested in installation also. That was kind of, um, you know, creating the environment of art. Uh, and that was also kind of why um, after I had been out of school for a while and had been producing my own work and working in various, you know, strange aspects of the art world. <laughs> I was an artist model for a while. I worked at um, a museum for a while as a museum guard. So that was a real, yeah, that was definitely a real meditative experience. Let me talk. <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, I was also doing my own art at that time. So that was kind of like my day job. Um, but yeah, it was a really, I mean, I remember getting out of school and being like, I need a job in the art world. So I like walked down to the museum and I was like, I would like a job. And they were like, here's the job we have for you. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll, I'll do this while I'm, um, while I'm also making my own art and trying to, you know, build that little universe. Um, but I did that for a while and I was working in an area where I didn't have a lot of connections. It's also kind of pre-internet um, to some degree. So, I ended up thinking like, okay, and I was working in San Diego, which is not the art world, let's be real. Right. Um, and then I ended up um, going back to uh, LA and getting my master's degree in architecture, um, mostly because I was still interested in experiences and environments in um, the experience of space and the way that people design and create spaces and my art was getting bigger and bigger and I was using more steel and more glass and I was like well shoot why don't we just take it to the next level and start building buildings um and so that was a really interesting development in my own creative development um but that skill set um and the theory that I was introduced to in architecture school actually led me back to the art world. Um, I got out of school in 2011. We had just gone through this insane recession. Um, no one was building in architecture, even though uh -uh. we'd sort of started to rebuild the economy. Uh, those kind of large economic moves were not being made as frequently, especially in the interesting small design world, you know, of conceptual architecture that I was interested in. So I ended up, uh, I had a friend that was working in the architecture, um, you know, sphere of DAW workshop, and they told me about this job opening, and and I was like, well, you know, that's not. They were looking for a renderer actually at the time, and I was like, I'm not really a renderer. I do more drawings and more model making, and they said just 
just talk to them, maybe connect up and see if it works out. Um, I ended up working there for quite a long time, <laughs> a very long relationship, um, you know, and it was, it was formative. It was really incredible to learn how many things uh, and how many ways that the art world touches so many aspects of industry in Los Angeles. And just to real quick clarify, DAW is Doug Egan Workshop, and it is, I mean, it, it does, like, this is the thing, I think we need to, like, we're telling people, is it, it's like an, it's its own ecosystem. Absolutely. And there are so many different areas, just like you just say, it, it, it touches on. So I'm going to let you continue to go, but just in case we start throwing DAW out, people know what we're <laughs> acronyms yeah. mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think that it's also really important to know, coming out of school, like, you know, if you do end up working with an artist, um, there's their art studios are all so unique. And this is one of the reasons why it's really hard to break into that business is that you're not, you're not looking for a job description in the same way that you would if you were coming into another type of, of work because every artist needs a specific and different thing and they need it to work exactly with the way that they work, which is really, um, it's really more of an like learning experience than anything else. Like it's a it's a symbiotic learning experience. You have to understand that person and their working method and their you know mental patterns before you can really be uh, useful. And I think I mean Alexis, you've worked with so many artists. I'm sure that you know how that kind of process goes. Well, you're you're asked to be like a translator. Because exactly. they're trying to, they're trying to get their, their vision, their words, their concepts out into, you know, and they're trying to get that in a way that's physical, but, you know, artists, I've said this before, I'm sure on the podcast, I'll say it again, that like, this is their way of communicating is through the art. So getting that art actually to be the thing is kind of hard because they're already envisioning the final product, but you have to get from point A to point Z. <laughs> Yeah, and figuring out how to do that just because conceptually they have that communication idea doesn't mean it's necessarily possible in the physical world with uh, our understanding of physics <laughs> as it is in technology. Yes. Um, but a physics problem that <laughs> the physics up. problem comes up a lot. Uh, yeah. But it's but it's you know it doesn't mean we can't try. In LA, I will say I think Erica because Erica went to Art Center um, and definitely a LA experience. LA, I think we're at a little bit of a advantage in terms of sourcing uh, materials, sourcing people who can make things um, and other kind of producers here because of our space access and, you know, are tangential to surf culture, car culture, you know, farming culture and Hollywood. Weather. Weather. Yeah. Weather makes it huge. so much it's better so much and easier. easier. Yeah. So we can really explore the space <laughs> in um in ways that like other areas can't but um which is which is just a fun side note because i just like to brag on our town sometimes you know it's funny though i think even people that live here and work here depending on what your interaction is los angeles is such a it's such a hidden city in so many ways we like many people don't even realize how much manufacturing actually goes on right here in LA or how much fabrication and, uh, and how many kind of small mom and pop places there are that do prototyping and 3d printing and like, you know, crazy, uh, you know, or, or, you know, I know a place that does, um, 
that does gilding, like frame gilding. That's probably the last place in America that does frame gilding. Well, I'm not gonna make that claim, but there it's like they also have the the very rare um, kind of craftsmen that are uh, that are out here that still exist and are still supported by our very weird film industry that exists mm -hmm. out here. So you have, you know, there's if there's a little bit of call for something, it's mm -hmm. still um, it still can survive on some level in Los Angeles for those very reasons, because there's more space, because there's, you know, enough, you know, weird asks out there. Yeah. And you can drive to places. I think that was one of the yeah. biggest things when, as a student, I learned, oh my God, I went to these super bizarre places when I was doing this like printmaking class. I was like, oh, you need to go pick up some metal plates so you can go and etch on. And I was just like, oh, where are you supposed to drive to? And they're like, oh, there are places. And you're like, oh, like down the street. And they're like, no, like two hours away. You're like, okay, um, let me get <laughs> two hours there and be in traffic and then pick up some plates in the middle of nowhere and then drive two hours back and hope for the best to go back to Pasadena, which, you know, was like half your day. But, you know, but I think that is... if you think is... about it, that <laughs> right, would have been a shipping and like, you know, question and it would have exactly. been, you know, emails and days on the phone and then it would have had to be, you know, so in actual fact, even though it seems like quite a long time for you personally, it does... Actually it could have been, up. yeah, if you lived in somewhere else, it could have been a three-day turnaround on getting anything shipped mm -hmm. in a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I had, you know, a dollar for every time I had to drive to San Bernardino. Oh, uh, and Sun Valley. Valley. I went to the <laughs> industry. I'm going to Sun Valley. Industrial <laughs> city or whatever. City of industry. City of which industry. Like, hmm, this is an industry. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, though, because those are all places, and you have so many people doing so many things to get to where to get these like ideas done and you can source them and again I'm gonna brag on LA I feel like so many of these places also are like so open-minded because we're like this like weird city of dreams where like anything can happen so it's yeah. not weird to show up at a place and be like hey can you make this and so many people are like well give it a fucking shot like exactly exactly and, and that's what I love about Los Angeles is that you have these industries that are small and nimble enough that are actually willing to take these super weird chances on things that they don't actually really know how to do, but they kind of have the tools and they kind they, they're like, okay, I can, and that's where, that's where my job came in a lot of the time was to mm -hmm. translate, um, you know, okay, you guys have this skill set, you have the right tools, you've never done this before, but there's no real reason why you can't. And, and we, and because, and I do think because it's in, it's LA and because it's California a little bit, like people are like, you know what, why not? We'll try it. And it's kind of neat. And people get excited about doing something a little bit different. And, um, and then at the end of the day, you know, you have this incredibly unique experience that could really happen nowhere else. So. Uh, quick question. Do you think, because I think that it's it's hard, to, like we were talking about earlier, like it's hard to translate the artist's ideas into like basically like you're you're become a project manager, right? You're a designer, yes. an architect, and a project manager. That's what I do now. Yes, I'm a project manager now. Also, is do you think that like coming from like an arts background, though, you know, you you learn language and mm -hmm. you learn how to communicate your work uh, through like art crits and through school, and then also obviously with your addition of the architecture school. But then it becomes 
because of your art background, you were able to communicate some of these ideas and especially with your own making in a way that was more applicable. Cause I feel like that was a big difference between what my capabilities were at Doug's and then yours, because I'm not a maker and I had ideas, but like if, if a production house or, you know, whoever it was, was like, this is what we can do. I, I pretty much say, okay. Um, I mean, I'd push for, you know, if there's a scratch or a dent or whatever, I'd ask for like whatever, but you, because of your history as a maker and because of your, your artist experience, I think you were able to push things further because you knew what the capabilities were actually of like people's maker skills. Yeah. I think that having that kind of, um, experiential knowledge of materials. And this was actually something that was also unique to my particular architecture education was um, I went to UCLA and they have this, um, this focus on, uh, God, I'm going to forget the name of it now, but the, there's these tech classes that you actually physically produce something, um, which is, uh, I think they made it I think they made it mandatory. I think when I went, it was sort of still an elective, but I think now you actually have to take those, those uh, classes. And it really helps you to understand materials and how to push material limitations. Um, and I think that that kind of experience and knowledge, um, if I hadn't had my uh, art education and my own experience as you know, a sculptor, um, that would have been absolutely invaluable to understanding the physicality of things and and what's possible because i think that, that that ability to know that this is how things are done but this is maybe where we could push that that is um really unique and i think it's really something that um that was really applicable when you got into uh, working with an artist and they had an idea that like as we say was maybe not what most people would think of as physically possible. So you had to figure out, okay, here's your concept and here's what's physically possible. And how do we, how do we take the physics and reorganize it to meet that concept? Um, because, you know, a lot of times uh, the materiality of a thing can help sort of support the concept that the artist is trying to produce and they may actually not have the knowledge to um to make those connections so it's it's helpful to have somebody like that they can so i'm gonna i'm gonna actually pull this back a little bit and start off and ask your okay so you were working at doug Aiken's studio um what was your like actual like job position because it wasn't an artist and I don't think we've covered this yet so we've covered that you went to art school you were doing uh I'm just gonna call like 3d 3d things like environment <laughs> things and then you went into like architecture school and then so you went in and like transitioned to go and work with an artist so what so what what was sort of like your job description so to speak even though like really our job description should just be like i can do things right Listen, <laughs> i will, I will say tell yes. you yes <laughs> so i think the easiest way to answer that is probably to tell you kind of what the day-to-day -day was um because i came in as a technically as a designer um that is a very broad term that can mean almost anything depending on who you're talking to um, but what I basically did was um, I would come in and, uh, you know, the artist would 
he would come to me with a concept or an idea or a sketch. And he would say, I really like this, you know, I, I really like this, this, you know, this idea, how would we make this real? And so what I would do would, you know, I would do some research on, I would try to translate his concept into reality. And part of that would be 3D modeling it. A lot of times I would do a 3D model in the computer. We would take a look at the kind of materiality that we were you know, aiming towards. We would do some renderings. Um, I would do, if the, if the art object had to have sort of a physical, like a physical ability, like we did a lot of musical pieces, a lot of technical pieces with Doug, um, I would do the research that would uh, support what we needed to get from point A to point B. Like we would find out, okay, what kind of microphones do we need to use for this? Um, if we were to make this, you know, we would study uh, experimental musical instruments because there was a lot of that kind of thinking going on at the workshop. Um, if there was something that needed to have a reflective capacity, what materials were out there that would make this possible? So there was a lot of research involved and then kind of presenting that research to the artist in a way that supported his concept. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it was very kind of casual and we would just like have these conversations and he'd be like, yeah, not really like that. Or, you know, more of this, or like, I don't, I don't like how this is going, but I like this idea. And so you would take that information and you'd refine it further. And um, eventually you would get to a point where you could present something to both him and something that he'd be able to present to the galleries. And we would then, uh, you know, put it into fabrication. And then I would manage that fabrication process to make sure that the concept that we'd come up with originally actually matched the end result. Um, and everything from, you know, fabrication method to quality control and and beyond really once you had the, the actual object made and produced you then had to get it uh shipped you had to get it um you know even before it was shipped properly properly packed to make sure that it was capable of being properly packed before it was finished fabrication um once it got to its final destination how was it installed who was installing it what did it need to be installed once it was uh, in the world, what does it need to be repaired? How does it need to be kind of the care and feeding of that object over the course of its lifespan? Sometimes literally um, feeding. Sometimes literally feeding, yes. We did have a few living artworks, as Alexis well knows, because she was involved in the production of some of those. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, there is really a lot that's involved. You see an image um, on a gallery's website, and you don't really realize what it takes for that thing to exist in the world. So it sounds like it's super collaborative. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of times when you go to art school, we're still taught in the sense of thinking, oh, you're the lone genius. You don't need anybody else to go and do things. You're supposed to know it all and just magically happens. You know, like, why would you ever think that you would need to learn about materials and physics of things? Like, that's silly. But Ready? that's an enormous disservice to an artist, too, because it, it limits their palette so much. As an artist, you should be able to come in and have a, a beautiful concept and know that there are people that are excited to help you realize that. And that those resources, if you, you guys talked about um, contacts and reaching out to people. And that goes both ways. That goes up the chain and it also goes out to those people that can help you make things if you're an artist, you know? People are delighted to work on something unique. 
I mean, I think what's interesting is that 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 was like never discussed in art school for me ever once. And they, it's almost like it's a badge of honor to just do it all on your own. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and it's like, why would you even say, and it's, I think more than that, it's like, well, you can't afford that because you don't have a studio, you don't have assistants, you don't have managers. So like the fact is you can't afford it. So you better find a way to go and be able to go and do it. And then you do it for so long and you're just like, what do you mean? There are other human beings. Like, that's silly. But it's so funny because I think that like doing it on your own also means like your skill set is also your network and your capability to ask help you know because it's like let's be honest like Richard Sarah's not fucking doing anything on his own he's not moving those fucking sheets of metal on his own like he's not doing that like he's sitting there pointing to people even if it's like I came up with all of this on my own and I had them all do it it's like no dude like you're not like no one even if it's just the guy who's moving the fucking thing even if he sat there with a hammer for 17 hours and banged that thing 17 hours 17 months to bang a piece of metal to look the way he wants it to be you still have guys, you still have to know who to call to fucking move that thing from, you know, your studio to wherever. It's never in a vacuum. And I think that like it, there is that like kind of dangerous, like lone genius artist, you know, concept out there, but like the strongest people and the people who are most capable and the people who actually fucking get shit done are the people who know who to call, which is always Ghostbusters. And then the fabricators because you got to get the ghosts out before you make the piece um exercise the demons but emotionally and physically but they have to but you have to be able to know like this is what it is because being able to say like like i think one of my strongest things in, in my career and my personality and my capabilities is that i'm i i know what i don't know and i'm never more than like two calls away from getting the answer that you need and that is like my little lone wolf superpower is like, I know where my limitations are. And I know that like, there's always gonna be someone smarter than me when it comes to working with glass, working with insulation, working with you know metal, because there's no way to know it all. And I think that artists should, you know, students and teachers are doing people a disservice. Um, because a lot of these people who do really well, they have like an incredible support system around them. And I think that was something that I learned at DAW really for the first time is that um, the strength, the real strength of a truly successful artist is being able to recognize, you know, who, who to call. Like, because you don't, you don't have to know, you don't, you don't need to be an expert in steel fabrication to be a conceptual artist that's insane like why would you, if you wanted to be an expert in steel fabrication you would go to you know a trade school or you know you would learn that skill and and also i think you have to recognize when you do call these people when you do call these fabricators they are experts and they have spent decades understanding that material in ways that you will never truly understand because you have not been the person with that material in your hand so, I mean, I'm, I'm always, I have such enormous respect for these craftsmen and these people that spend so much time truly understanding the thing that I can come in and say, hey, I have this idea, can you help me out with this? And then they're able to say, no, that material won't do that, or maybe. And um, I mean, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm always in awe of those folks when, when, I, when I give them a call and I see what they really can do. 
and they're always excited to do something that they haven't done before, but maybe can. I think one of the best things that I was taught when I was going to go and make something is what's your budget? That was always the first question that was asked when I walked into the workshop. And I think maybe Art Center was slightly different because different, different departments have different funding. Like some people yeah. have more money and others just like simply don't. And, but you were never discriminated. It was just like, tell me how much you can spend and we will make it work around that. And I think it really sort of makes you look at solutions very differently because you weren't limited by just because there's a cost attachment doesn't mean that you can't make what it is that you see in your head. Like there will be different ways of doing something, but, and maybe this is an LA thing, but it's certainly like, yes, let's try and go and do that. Or it's like what you were saying, Stephanie, it's like, well, I don't know how to do this, but like, let's try and find a different way and let's do something that's slightly different. Um, and like I'll tell you, even the most successful artists have to have those, those conversations because mm -hmm. there's always the most expensive way possible to solve your problem. And there's also a hundred thousand other ways. And there's also the exciting thing sometimes is that you find new things that push your idea further. Yes. Because all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, I thought we could only do this. And someone's like, yeah, but have you heard about this material? And these are its capabilities. And this is what we can do with this. That is times 10 what you were thinking of before. Constraints are always opportunities. I love that. Constraints are always opportunities. So wait, so Stephanie, what are you doing now? Um, well, now I'm actually doing um, more, more project management, uh, less design. Um, but still, I'm um, still working in the creative field to some degree. Um, I'm working for the Academy Museum as we put together our very first, uh, very exciting opening show. Um, so we're getting all of that uh, assembled and off the ground in the midst of a global pandemic. So uh, never a dull moment. <laughs> but it's yeah, that's also. Um, it's also very, you know, a lot of the same things, to be honest, a lot of the same, you know, I'm still working with designers. I'm not working with um, kind of a single, you know, artist in this respect, but I'm working with a design firm and we are still out there making stuff, getting stuff off the ground. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's, I would think that, you know, as, you know, budgets grow and shrink and spaces grow and shrink. I mean, like all of these tools that you've got from art school, from architecture school, from Doug, from your own practice, inform things when you're doing something that's brand new and you're asked to solve problems that no one's had to solve before. And you have such a nice bag to sift through of stuff, right? Absolutely. And you know, what's crazy is, um, I actually found that working with uh, DAW gave me so much experience working locally. And I think that as, like you say, as budgets increase, as uh, you know, scope increases, um, people start to think a lot more globally, which is great. But in an instance like now, where suddenly we have this global pandemic, which makes travel and transport you know, increasingly complicated, it's really great to be able to say, you know what, we actually have somebody locally that can do that too. And mm -hmm. um, that kind of 
that kind of knowledge of your own city and your own you know space is really invaluable and i think like we've been talking a lot about la and how great la is and everything which you know i'm, bi I'm biased but at the same time um i guarantee that there are people out there making things wherever you are yeah you have to look for them and they and they will surprise you mm -hmm. so i mean yeah i don't i don't want to I don't want to say only the big cities have this kind of stuff because there's definitely people out there making things everywhere in the world. No, it's, I also it's think so that it makes you connect with the city in a very different way, which yeah. that's something that I learned, like instead of just living here, living in a city just to live there to work, but because of the nature of practicing art, you sort of look for very odd things. You're like, where am I going to, where am I going to go find materials? Mm -hmm. Where am I going to go find fabricators? Where like you really sort of see and connect with the city completely differently based on your own trade. And I think it's very different from many other trades. It's not like, oh, I'm an accountant and I only know accountants that are just like in this one area. You're just like, no, as an artist, I know like lots of weird little things and like pockets of different areas that do things that you would never really thought that that's where the industry exists. And your place of work will inform your work as an artist. What is, what is made in your city? I mean, we talk about all the incredible music that came out of Detroit and like the way that, you know, the rhythm of that city started to affect the sounds that came from it. And, you know, here in LA, like we have like the tradition of minimalism and the, the, the finish fetish that came from the auto industry and like, you know, car paint and plastics and all of this crazy stuff that, that became so much part of the vernacular of our, you know, art experience here that it, it's, you know, it's almost invisible now because we're like, oh, you know, that's just, that's just what it is. But wherever you are, you know, the things that are made there will, will start to, if that's what you're accessing to make your work, it'll start to, you know, feed into the work and make it more interesting and more unique, more of the place that you are. <laughs> Stephanie, what have you read, heard, seen this week that is interesting to you? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I was <laughs> saying earlier that I've been so busy. I haven't done that much reading. Um, I have been reading, um, I've been reading Say You Want to Talk About Race with um, Ijoma Elua. I hope I said that right. Um, because obviously everything that's been going on and, and the museum has been talking a lot internally as to how we can be an anti-racist institution. And um, this is something that I feel like I am constantly needing to brush up on and re-educate myself with, because it's a constantly, you know, everything is, is new all the time and we need to stay abreast of these things. So I am, that's what I'm reading. Um, also reading Joan Didion again, weirdly, because I don't know, I found it strangely soothing and oddly depressing because a lot of the things that are being talked about in the 60s and 70s seem like they're coming back around. That's so, so funny, I've turned, I've turned back to Joan Didion too a little bit. Um, we did slouching towards Bethlehem, Bethlehem a couple weeks ago. And I was just Yeah, like, exactly. And it's, it's, I don't know, sometimes you need, a, you need a little security blanket balm, even if it's 
a little depressing. Yeah, I know. It's been it's been an interesting time to um, to try to build a museum. <laughs> I think honestly, it's always an interesting time to build a museum. But very true is. Uh, but I am excited about what you guys are doing, and um, I think it's going to be really. I think it is really important, especially considering what you were saying about like for LA and like just the world. I mean. I'm gonna wax nostalgic for a second again about LA and like just like being this like crazy city of dreams where anything's possible. Like a hundred fucking years ago, nobody would have thought that Hollywood would have been like the behemoth that it is now and how culturally influenced and like the technological advances that were made and all of the kinds of crafts that go into it. Oh gosh, um, we didn't even start talking about like the technical like oh influence and the engineering side of things that are both art and film. Like. Mm -hmm. You guys, and yeah. So I'm so excited that we're going to have a place that's going to be 100% devoted to that because it's important. And it is important. A lot of artisanship and uh, genius and, you know. And there's so much. I mean, we're going to, what I love about the museum is that they're, they're really looking to be, um, these are active exhibitions. We're not going to be like making one exhibition that is just like going to sit there for the next decade. Like everything mm -hmm. is going to be changing and moving and being reiterated all the time because there is just so much to talk about and there's so much information and there's such an incredible wealth of just objects and knowledge and trades that are involved in making all of this stuff happen. And, you know, to your point, to this discussion, uh, it really does take an army of incredibly brilliant people to make the magic happen. And as somebody who hasn't gone to art school, I would think too, because I know that Erica has opened my eyes to the wonderful world of crits. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie has a PTSD splashback real quick. I think everybody um, has PTSD when you bring but, that word up. It's like, mm. I, would, I would think though that like also something that you could really value is that like you're seeing other people's works and you're seeing the pr things that they work on and their materials and their point of views and i would think that that could you know if you're if you're clever enough to take that with you their successes and their failures even if you don't like it you know having that kind of information inside of you can help inform again later right like if you're doing all of these like if you're why are you doing this where can you do this oh i saw you know, Timmy had that thing that was kind of an interesting deal or, oh, nope, Timmy used that thing. And that was a bad thing. I definitely don't want to use that. Um, and I would think that that could help inform, like, especially with things that are going on, you know, as you're having to move. And this thing about the art world, like, it's always moving. Museums are always moving. Like, none of these places are stagnant. Yeah. And, um, and being able to adapt to that is, uh, that's, a, that's a, a, fun, a fun skill to have. I think that is the quintessential skill that that is that you need to have in the art world is you need to be adaptable. You need yeah. to be able to move when when things change because they're changing all the time. You have to be able to change with them. And then you can complain later that you're so good at adapting and that people wouldn't ask you to adapt if they didn't know that you could. Um, it's literally my number one complaint. I'm like, people wouldn't ask me to do these things. if They didn't know I could do it. Uh, <laughs> oh, Alexis. <laughs> but it's true. People to my soul. Stephanie, people wouldn't ask you to do these things if they didn't know it was possible. <laughs> or if they didn't know that you could figure it out. They don't know it's possible until they meet you. Um, Likewise, I think all of these, all the people on this call certainly, certainly know how to move when things change. 
Um, Stephanie, can you tell? Uh, I know that you're not the most social media active, but I got to do it because. Oh Lord. Okay. Streaming. Um, like, yes. Let's see. I do have. I do have social media. It's just not. Not my. Not my uh, preferred form of contact with the world. Um, let's see. S underscore Wilsey at Twitter. Uh, I think. Uh, I do have. I do have a Twitter. <laughs> And Twitter, yeah, uh, so do I have Instagram? Yes, I do, but I it's don't Will, really. W I L L underscore S E A, and yes. I'm gonna put both of those in the thing anyway, just because you never know. You never know sure. one day you're gonna sure. and people. Know. And and I will say that like I I mean I am always happy to you know people call me about how to make stuff, especially young artists that don't know, and I'm I will always hook you up with somebody that knows how to make things if, if I can super generous so uh if you ever if you ever have like a real question about an la-based situation or like even like a materiality thing you guys can email us at hyderpractice at gmail.com and i will forward that shit to stephanie on without her consent and it's gonna be great <laughs> um she'll probably get back to you super fucking generous lady right here uh stephanie hey so i want to see more art get made <laughs> i know right rising tide lifts all boats Thank you so much. Thank you oh, so much. Thanks, guys. It's really fun to talk to you. It's really good to meet you, Erica. Nice to meet you, too.